Coming up on the Inside Indiana Business Television podcast, Indiana lawmakers gather for a special session with a controversial abortion bill at the center of debate, the impact the legislation could have on Hoosier businesses and the economy. Plus, one of the key players behind pulling off Indianapolis hosting all of March Madness in 2021 takes over at the Indiana Sports Corp. Patrick Talty shares his vision for what's next and something appetizing to sink your teeth into. We check out Indiana's hottest new bakeries in this month's Trendiana. Welcome to the Inside Indiana Business Television Podcast. I'm Alex Brown. Our top story this week, the Indiana General Assembly's special session, where lawmakers are considering a bill to ban most abortions. Indiana is the first state in the nation to consider such a measure since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last month. The debate has drawn attention from the White House. Vice President Kamala Harris met with Democratic leaders in Indianapolis at the State House to discuss the issue. Aside from the political, ethical, and religious debate regarding abortion, some suggest there is also a lot on the line as it relates to the Indiana economy. More than 200 Hoosier businesses have signed a petition opposing abortion restrictions. For more on the potential fallout, we are joined by Abdul Hakim Shabazz, who has covered the State House for nearly 20 years. Let's talk about uh, the special session. It was supposed to be about the governor's uh, plans for a tax rebate, but clearly uh, uh, the abortion issue has stolen the spotlight here in Indiana and really around the country. Uh, yes, it has. Uh, basically, it's uh, taken up a lot of attention, a lot of issues, as lawmakers try to sort of uh, thread the needle uh, to figure this out. I sort of uh, jokingly wrote on social media today that it's easier for a camel to pass with I have a needle than it is for my Republican friends and let's say to figure out this abortion issue uh, right now, because there's just so many uh, different sort of a sliding scale of some folks are pro-life, no exemptions, some people are pro-life with a lot of exemptions. Uh, some people know, should we criminalize it, uh, put doctors and healthcare providers in jail? Uh, what about travel, birth control? Uh, it's just it's an issue that's all over the place, my friend. It's a very fluid situation and certainly things could change by the time this show is airing around the state of uh, Indiana this this weekend. But your biggest takeaway so far, you mentioned the difficulty in navigating uh, this issue for Republicans. But uh, other things that uh, have really stood out to you as this debate has, has really gotten underway. Uh, just sort of the, the, the behind the scenes consternation uh, right now that the Senate Republican leadership is having to deal with. Uh, Rod Bray, uh, who's a good guy and a good friend of mine, uh, seemed very uncomfortable uh, when he actually announced uh, some of that, uh, that proposed legislation, what was actually going to be in it. That, that kind of surprised me uh, a bit. Uh, but like I said, uh, as we have this discussion, lawmakers are, are still trying to figure out exactly what is sort of the right mix. Uh, you got right to life that isn't happy, you got the pro-choice community that isn't happy. And normally if you have two sides that are sort of on the extreme aren't happy, they usually that's a good bill, but not in this case, because it's such an emotional issue that means uh, so much to so many different people. Yeah, you mentioned it is an emotional issue, passion on both sides of the issue. It harkens back to the, the RIFRA debate. Uh, protests certainly happening outside and inside the state house uh, this year. There were huge protests back then. Any any uh, similarities or any things you harken back to, Abdul, as you look at what you're seeing at the state house now compared to the RIFRA debate? Uh, it reminds me of RIFRA and also right to work because uh, you got to recall that brought up like tons of people uh, to the state house to protest. But, but as with RIFRA, though. Uh, Riffra, the, the the protests seem to be a lot bigger and a lot longer uh, for this for the state for the abortion protests. Just a couple of days of of massive crowds, and everyone else was just sort of the the usual folks you would expect to see uh, in a situation quite like this. A lot of people speculating on the impact uh, this abortion bill may or may not have in Indiana including some who suggest that this is a business issue. This could impact the economy, uh, businesses, and their ability to attract and retain talent. What's your, what's your take on that? 
Uh, there is a that is a component. Uh, like we said, it, it is an emotional issue. It is a legal issue, but it is also a business issue. We've got someone who's thinking about you know, where am I going to set up shop. Uh, I got to uh, attract talent, particularly younger folks, younger women in particular, uh, who will, who've only only known all their lives as Roe versus Wade. Now Roe Roe versus Wade is gone. Uh, so businesses are going to take that into uh, consideration. Now, luckily, uh, Indiana has a lot of things going for it, uh, but this could potentially uh, be sort of a sort of a, a chink in the armor, so to speak, as opposed to a state like in Illinois that says, "Hey." Over here, we res- we respect reproductive choice. You have to worry about that issue. Whereas in Indiana, you do. So it, it could make Indiana a little bit less competitive as we compete uh, for national businesses. Hey, I'm not going to ask you to predict what's going to happen. No one uh, knows. But as you look at the week, week ahead, what can we expect uh, around this issue uh, as it begins to uh, you know continue to roll out at the state house? My friend, if I can predict that, I'd have won the $1 billion in the Mega Millions <laughs> earlier this week. Uh, like I said, no, everything is really fluid. Uh, and anyone tells you they know exactly what's going to happen mm-hmm. uh, is probably lying to you. So yeah. we're just basically sort of keeping an eye on everything, all the moving parts, and just, just basically keeping an eye on this entire issue to see uh, what happens uh, next week. Abdul Hakim Shabazz, really a treat to have you on my Business and Beyond podcast. That will drop uh, next week. And I've got to ask you, because you gave us a little scoop uh, said you're thinking about maybe running, maybe running for mayor. Is that uh, what, what, what's uh, what's that all about? It is. I, I would I would I'd be less than honest if I haven't said I haven't thought about it. Still got a lot of lot of thinking to do. Got to listen a lot of folks and got to convince uh, my number one fan, uh, which is my wife. If I can convince <laughs> her, then then we can definitely uh, go forward, my friend. But I'll, but you'll be one of the first people I let know what happened. Okay, good. We'll look forward to that, and sure, certainly that would uh, spice things up a, a bit. Abdul Hakim Shabazz, as always, a great perspective uh, from the State House. Thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thank you, Gary. Good to talk to you. The Indiana Sports Corp has decided to stay in-house for its next president. Bill Benner has more on this week's Inside Indiana Sports. So the successor to Ryan Vaughn is Patrick Talty, who has been serving as the Sports Corp's chief operating officer and, as such, had pivotal leadership when Indiana hosted the entirety of the 2021 men's NCAA Men's Basketball Championship. He also brings extensive venue and event experience to his role as the seventh president of the Sports Corp. We welcome him to the program. Patrick, first of all, congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate that. We know they, they use the, the, the cliche in sports when the assistant coach moves that one seat to the head coach spot, it becomes suddenly much, much hotter. I know it's summertime and it's hot, uh, but uh, what's it been like for you since the announcement? Uh, it's been great. I mean, I'm personally um, just humbled and honored to uh, be the seventh president. Uh, it's such a such a great organization, such amazing community, and and I'm just honored to be able to serve this community and and really come back home. I started my career here, went traveled around the world, and and now I'm back and I get to do uh, really cool things uh, in, in this community and and really serve it. And and that's what's really been nice. It's been really fun to see all the congratulation notes and everyone uh, be excited for me. But work starts and uh, it's pedal to the metal. Well, and of course, uh, for those those who don't know the sports corp, the first sports commissioner in the country way back in 1979. Now, every city of every size uh, has a sports commission, and it's a very competitive environment. Indianapolis has somehow stayed not only in the pack, but ahead of the pack. Uh, but the challenges uh, nonetheless exist. Yes, it is. I mean, we um, have competition from everywhere and we see competition coming and we competition we don't see coming. And it's really important for us, I think, to stay competitive. We have to act like 
we have a rich history, but we have to act like we've never had these events before. We have to really show that we want the events, that we are being creative, innovative, we're being nimble, we're responding to our rights holders that are hosting these events. Because really, at the end of the day, they are the most important customers that we have, and we have to cater to them. And we have to be, and we have to tell them, hey, India is the right place to have the event, and we have to show them every time that we come to work every day. Big Ten football uh, still uh, locked up through 2024. You got the big, big get, uh, the U.S. Olympic swim trials in 2024 and a artificial or portable pool placed inside Lucas Oil Stadium. That's going to be, that's going to be a wow. Yes, that is going to be an amazing event. We're really excited about that one. Um, it's going to be the Super Bowl of swimming. We're going to make this the really the epicenter of swimming. Indiana has a rich history of swimming. And of course, you can drive um, from, you know, Indiana, you can drive to over half of the clubs can get here. And there was never an opportunity to really get tickets in Omaha. It was always sold out. Well, now there's going to be plenty of tickets. So swim clubs and and kids that have aspirations of Olympics finally get to participate in swimming and see it firsthand. It's going to be nine nights of a uh, fan fest. Um, There's going to be nine nights on Georgia Street. I mean, that's like Super Bowl-esque activations. And so there's going to be something for everyone in the community, whether you're a swim fan, if you're an Olympic fan, come on down and enjoy and engage in this. Uh, Basketball, part of our DNA, Big Ten Tournament will go away for a couple of years and then be back in the bidding process. But in the meantime, we still have NCAA events, including a, a Final Four coming up, a regional. Uh, uh, so still a lot of hoops in our in our city's future. Well, obviously, Indiana, we have to have basketball. Basketball is at the core of everything that we do. Um, we're really excited uh, that the NCAA has blessed us with uh, tournaments for three years coming up in 24, 25, and 26, with the Final Four, obviously, in 26. And that's going to be very special. We're really excited about that opportunity and, and really be innovative with the NCAA and really kind of highlight their, their pillars of what they're trying to achieve um, with that tournament. And we're really excited about that. Patrick, as we wrap up, a, a corporate challenge, a, a staple of the sports Corp. August 20th, Indy Ultimate coming up in September. And then uh, an exciting, back to basketball, yes. an exciting basketball event uh, coming to uh, Gamebridge Fieldhouse in December. Yeah, we're really excited about this. This is uh, a pr- replacement of the Crossroads Classic. Uh, we have uh, Purdue versus Davidson and Ball State versus Illinois State. Uh, first time ever, a uh, brand new event. Um, it's going to be an annual event, though. It's going to come back every year to Gamebridge Fieldhouse. I can't thank the Pacer Sports and Entertainment enough uh, for their partnership and helping us bring this event to life. But get your t- Tickets are going to be on sale uh, the week of September 6th. All right. Well, Patrick Talkley, the seventh president of the Indiana Sports Corp. Thanks for being on the program. We wish you nothing but the best moving forward. Remember, you can catch Inside Indiana Business Television on stations throughout the state every weekend. Head to InsideIndianaBusiness.com to check listings. Moving the needle in a city like Gary, Indiana is no easy task, but since taking office in 2020, Mayor Jerome Prince has found uncommon success. Around Indiana reporter Mary Rachel Redman has more. The old saying, perception is reality, may just be Gary, Indiana's biggest obstacle. And Mayor Jerome Prince, well, let's just say he's well aware of the moniker Scary Gary. Prince tells me he knows that perception of the city isn't going to change overnight, but perhaps one of the reasons Prince has been so effective in Gary, he keeps it simple. He calls them his three pillars, 
making Gary safer, improve customer service for Gary residents, and creating a cleaner city. This summer, upwards of 100 buildings will be demolished as part of Prince's All In Gary campaign, which also features community cleanups every two weeks. Earlier this month, he launched Operation Safe Zone, a 24-hour surveillance operation that feeds security video from churches and businesses directly to officers on the ground in real time. He's also partnered with the Indiana State Police. Progress, yes, but again, Prince knows overcoming decades of a bad rap isn't easy. Never really felt unsafe, you know. Some may say, well, he's delusional, right? And I don't think so. I travel through the city. I take my family, my wife and I ride our bicycles throughout the entire city. Having said that, it's important to understand that because that perception exists, that we need to acknowledge it, right? And do everything we can to try to eliminate or at the very minimum diminish the perception that this isn't a safe place and a good place to visit or live. And Prince also added that change of perception is what will start to bring businesses back to Gary, something that's already beginning to take shape. Several hot new bakeries have opened up around the state. In this month's Trendiana segment, we look at what's baking from mochi donuts in Noblesville to a pastry truck in Fort Wayne. We have five spots that are sure to satisfy your sweet tooth. Yelp's director of community campaigns, Brittany Smith, has more on which spots to add to your summer bucket list. Doesn't it smell good in here? It does. It really does. And, and so these, again, are businesses around the state of Indiana popping up, bakeries, uh, an industry, if you will, that uh, is doing well. Yeah, several of them just opened actually in the last few months and are selling out daily and just having such success right out the door. Okay, as always, you give us a great statewide tour and you begin in Greenwood. Yes, Lake Croissant. This is a great example of it. They just opened up in February and they are making their fresh pastries daily, Chef Pedro and his team. So you will see them as you're in line because they do have lines daily and they're selling out. They're bringing out fresh croissants that just keep rolling out the straw. Strawberry croissant is one of their most popular. The fruit danishes. They're very den- uh, generous in how many of the fruit toppings that they put on, which folks really love in the reviews. It is amazing, doesn't it? All right, let's go down to Southeast Indiana and New Albany. And this story, from a bakery standpoint, is cool, but also the way it happened, right? Some yes. restaurant workers laid off during the pandemic started up uh, Levin Bakery. Yeah, exactly. They were laid off during the pandemic, made lemonade out of lemons, mm-hmm. and they actually started this bakery as a social media platform became so successful that they had to open a brick and mortar right there in New Albany. And folks are uh, enjoying their fresh breads that they're making each day, the pastries. One of the standouts in the reviews is the avocado toast that's made on their panini in-house. So all made from scratch and a really fun success story. Okay, uh, let's go to Noblesville now in Hamilton County. Mochi Joy Donuts. Now, this the mochi is a pretty trendy, right? It's kind exactly. of a, a coup to get this in Indiana. We have been waiting for this moment. <laughs> mochi Donuts uh, across the U.S. You'll see it in bigger cities. Now, Indiana has its first spot right there at Mochi Joy Donuts. Really chewy texture is what makes it different from other donuts. Really fluffy. You'll read about it in the reviews that way. But they have 16 different donuts each day. Eight that are this kind of steadfast wow. that you can find. They're another spot that's selling out. You can order it online. And they just rolled out a new Hamoto, which is a ham mochi donut sandwich with smoking goose ham. And they're starting to sell that later this month. So a really fun fusion uh, between mm. 
between mm. two different businesses. Very, very cool. Okay, Breadworks, uh, which uh, is uh, both Indianapolis, but also Greencastle, yes. right? Yes, you know, they're very popular yep. in the Greencastle location. They just opened up this past week a location along the Monon Trail in 54th. And so a fun little pit stop if you want some carbs on your bike ride. Mm -hmm. And they have a beautiful patio out front. And actually, they're doing coffee drinks in-house as well. Okay, let's go to Northeast Indiana, Fort Wayne, GK baked goods. Yeah, this one has um, been really popular for their turnovers and their hand pies. So they'll use really fresh produce right now, like peach hand, uh, hand pies, root barb, using things that are seasonal. Uh, what they've described themselves as is a European style bakery, really back to rustic roots. And it's a great addition to Fort Wayne. Uh, great bakeries, great smells uh, on yeah. the set. Uh, Brittany, thanks for uh, a great tour around the state and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much, Gary. All right. Ralph Braun, a Hoosier entrepreneur who spent most of his life in a wheelchair, launched his company 50 years ago, and Braun Ability has grown into one of the biggest names in the mobility industry. Founded in Winnemac and still manufacturing there, the company is celebrating its 50th anniversary in a unique way. Business of Health reporter Kylie Valletta has more. Braun Ability is marking 50 years by building 50 free wheelchair ramps in 50 days for Hoosiers who would otherwise have no way to safely get out of their home. The company is a global leader in manufacturing wheelchair accessible vehicles and wheelchair lifts. But Braun Ability says their products don't matter if people with disabilities can't first get out of their home. And joining me now to tell us how the ramps at home connect with their mission is Megan Wegner, Senior Brand Manager at Braun Ability. Hi, Megan, and happy anniversary. Uh, hi, Kylie. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for being on the show today. Let's just start with a quick refresher uh, for Hoosiers who maybe don't know about Braun Ability uh, in Indiana. Give us a quick snapshot of what you do there. Sure. So Braun Ability is a global leader in mobility transportation solutions. And uh, basically, we change lives by making sure that people with mobility challenges and their families can, can safely and uh, independently travel. Right. So this focuses on vehicles and getting in and out of vehicles and uh, moving, uh, driving while they're in the vehicles, obviously. But uh, you have a history there in Winnemac and really in central Indiana, too, that is such a neat legacy. You have a great founding story. Uh, give us just a little bit of your history there. Yeah, sure. So our founder's name was Ralph Braun, and he was born back in the 1940s. And at a young age, he uh, found out that he had muscular dystrophy. So his uh, parents were obviously uh, devastated. Uh, they they took him to, to hospitals and doctors said uh, he's probably not going to live to be an adult and thought he should be hospitalized probably uh, through the rest of his life. And uh, his parents said, uh, that's not for us and brought him back to Winnemac. And when he slowly began to lose strength in his uh, legs and arms, he and his dad engineered the first uh, motorized scooter so he could get around on his own. And from there, he uh, engineered, along with his dad, again, uh, a way to get a wheelchair lift installed in an old coastal Jeep and then added hand controls. And that was effectively the first ever wheelchair accessible vehicle. And more and more people saw him driving around from his wheelchair and said, I have a neighbor, I have a friend, I have a family member who could use something like that. And Ralph realized, I think there's a business here. And uh, as I said, we're, we're celebrating our, our 50th anniversary. Great. Such a neat story. And you still manufacture there in Winnemac. You do have global headquarters here in Carmel. Uh, let's talk about this uh, project you're doing to celebrate 50 years, the 50 free ramps. Uh, tell us why you chose to do this and how it connects with your mission. Sure. We knew we wanted to celebrate our anniversary by giving back to our uh, communities where we live and work. And uh, 
we partnered with this amazing organization based in Indiana. Uh, they're called SAWS, and they build ramps free of charge for low-income Hoosiers and uh, help them safely get out of their homes. And we thought that's a perfect match. Obviously, uh, the products that we build help our customers and their families discover the world around them uh, outside of their homes. But they're, um, they're useless, really, if you're trapped inside your own home. So uh, we thought this is a perfect way to give back to our communities and also ground our employees in uh, our mission and the people who we're helping every day. And I know you've got a good portion of those ramps already built. Uh, you also just found out that Braunability won a first place and a $1 million prize in a recent competition with the U.S. Department of Transportation. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was an exciting week for us. Uh, we found out on Tuesday, which was the 32nd anniversary of the ADA, that Braunability and Purdue University together uh, won this first place award. It was the government's first ever uh, inclusive design challenge and basically uh, challenged companies to come up with a, a prototype of the future of autonomous inclusive travel. And so we did win that and that $1 million will go to uh, funding that research and development. All right. And if you could just touch on looking uh, to the future, just a few seconds left. What kind of trends are you seeing in mobility? What do you see for the future there of Braunability? Well, we're definitely focused on uh, electric vehicles and uh, our eyes are um, definitely on autonomous travel, too. That can be a real game changer for people with disabilities. All right, Megan, uh, happy anniversary again. And thanks for being on the show today. Thank you so much. Abdul Hakim Shabazz has covered Indiana politics since moving to Indiana in 2004, and he wears many hats, attorney, teacher, writer, broadcaster, and publisher of IndiePolitics.com. And he is this week's guest on the Business and Beyond podcast presented by PNC. Subscribe for free from your favorite podcast provider. Purdue University Fort Wayne has been recognized as one of the best universities by the National Council on Teacher Quality to prepare future elementary educators to teach math. PFW is one of only 79 in the nation to earn the exemplar distinction. In our Eye on Education, we are joined by the Dean of the School of Education, Isabel Nunez. This is noteworthy because as we've discussed on this show many, many times, it's uh, one of the big issues facing the state and that's uh, science, technology, engineering and math, STEM education. And, and a shortage of teachers. There are a number of aspects to that, but there's a real shortage of teachers, especially at the elementary level, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And we've always had a shortage of STEM educators at the secondary level, but now even elementary teachers are in short supply. All right. Let's talk about uh, the program, the undergrad program, uh, their elementary teacher uh, preparation program. Talk about uh, what makes this program different and why it's being recognized nationally. Well, we are absolutely blessed with the strength of our math education faculty. We have three full semesters of content courses for elementary teachers. Most universities will have two content courses as well as a methods class. Um, we have three semesters, also methods. And these classes are not just about the, the what and the how to do math. They really do emphasize deep conceptual understanding. So why? Why is math? And I assume that's got to be key. The, the other piece is having the technology available uh, to really integrate into the program and give, give students that, uh, that really uh, full, rich experience. Oh, yeah. And another way that we're really lucky is that our math education faculty designed and secured the resources for an active learning classroom 
just for elementary mathematics. Hmm. Um, so this classroom allows for collaborative learning, both while students are in the, the physical space, but also when someone needs to join virtually. So there are individual projectors and document cameras and, and stations at each table that will allow for this kind of collaboration. And it was absolutely perfect during the pandemic. Right. I mean, the whole campus had to kind of scramble to go online, yeah. but they were prepared in elementary math ed. Yeah. And I've got to believe because there's such a focus uh, on attracting and keeping talent. Northeast Indiana is certainly one of the most progressive regions in, ter in terms of strategy and, and going after that. To have a program like this at Purdue Fort Wayne, I would seem, assume has to be a real asset for the region as it looks to continue to grow uh, to grow the economy there. Oh, it, it is wonderful because math is critical, right? So if all elementary educators are prepared at a very high level to teach math, then the entire region benefits. Um, we also have the distinction of being the very first institution in Indiana um, to be approved to offer the elementary STEM specialist licensure. This is a brand new licensure. Um, we were the first approved in December. Um, we'll have the first graduates in our program in May, um, and they will be um, elementary STEM specialist um, teachers. Well, a big honor, certainly, uh, for the program there, the undergrad uh, elementary teacher program at Purdue Fort Wayne. Isabel Nunez, the director of the School of Education there. Uh, thanks for joining us. Congratulations and keep us posted on future developments. Thank you so much for the opportunity to recognize our faculty. All right. A serious shortage of construction workers in Indiana and other stories. We check in on what our partners at the IBJ are working on this week. Managing editor Greg Weaver joins Gary to share more. Okay, uh, a number of stories you're working on. Worker shortages we're seeing and experiencing them across a number of industries in the state, including the construction industry, which still uh, is uh, really trying to manage that situation. Yeah, very much so. Uh, the state is expected to need uh, an additional 275,000 construction workers by 2026. So the Indiana Construction Roundtable is working with local schools to beef up uh, industrial arts programs and also try to offer more internships to high school students. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned internships, um, certainly uh, during the pandemic and, and dating back to 2020 universities, campuses were shut down, essentially, and that had a, obviously a direct impact on internships. Um, companies and, and interns now kind of trying to figure out what's next. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, 70 percent of interns said that they were dissatisfied with the, the remote work assignments that they were given. And so now they are asking companies to give them uh, more immersive experiences and companies are tried, trying to, to, to do that for them. All right, let's look at uh, the Indiana State House. Certainly a big focus on Indiana as uh, legislators in special session uh, discuss a, an abortion uh, bill. Uh, the impact of a potential bill, bill here could be wide ranging, uh, including on abortion clinics. That's right. Uh, the uh, restrictions that have been proposed that would ban abortions, uh, except in the cases of rape, incest, or the life of the mother, uh, threaten Indiana's um, seven freestanding abortion clinics. And one of them actually told us that uh, if the restrictions proposed remain in place, they likely would be forced to close. 
Those just three of the stories and what will be a jam-packed uh, Indianapolis Business Journal this weekend. Greg Weaver, as always, thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. Thank you. It's time now for a deeper dive into all things business in the state, including a look at the Indiana General Assembly special session now underway at the State House with our Insiders panel. This week, our panelists include Beck Communications Group President Laura Beck, Indiana GOP Director of Diversity and Engagement Whitley Yates, and Visit Indy Senior Vice President Chris Gall. For a look at what's happening around the state and uh, a lot of attention, obviously, here in Indiana, but uh, importantly around the country, is focused on the Indiana State House now. In special session, Laura, a, a session that was uh, initially called to, to deal with the governor's idea for tax refund, uh, essentially. But uh, really, the abortion uh, bill uh, is taken center stage. Uh, give us your, this is a very fluid situation, obviously. Very, yeah. Things are going to change between now and when this airs around the state this weekend. Right. But your take on what you're seeing at the state house now. Well, I think what, you know, I think everyone here will, will likely agree too. I mean, this is an incredibly heated issue. It's very personal. Um, and I think what's becoming apparent is it's not a popular issue because no one likes the bill. Um, you've got the Republican base that doesn't like it. And then you've got pretty much everybody else that doesn't like it. Um, so I think they're really politically, um, going to be challenging to push something through and to do it, um, without really taking the time and having a testimony. The biggest challenge too, especially for the supermajority, is from a political standpoint, this was supposed to be all about tax relief mm-hmm. and um, getting money back to the taxpayers. It's going to be completely overshadowed by this because that's all anyone is thinking mm-hmm. about, talking about um, on a national and international scale. Yeah. What will your take? I think I'm going to be honest, what Indiana is doing, I think is right. Not having a trigger bill that goes into effect that allows for citizens to come to the state house to voice their opinions, for it to go into committee and be heard, I think is the right thing to do. We do have some contrast within our own party, as well as contrast on the outside. And so the intricacies of passing something that Hoosiers are going to have to live with and be happy with is going to be challenging. But I do think that the General Assembly is up for the task. And so I'm putting my faith in them and my faith in the Hoosiers that their voices are going to be heard. Chris, uh, harkens back to, as you mentioned, passions on both sides of the issue. Certainly, we've seen demonstrations inside, outside the state house. Kind of harkens back to the, the RIFRA uh, debate and controversy a number of years ago. And, and there was a lot of attention at that time placed on the potential economic impact uh, of that bill. Do you see, do you sense anything similar in this case? That's a great question. There are a handful of conventions and events who have proactively expressed um, concern. They are watching what Indianapolis, Indiana is doing over there at the State House. Uh, too soon to tell if it'll be a Riffer-esque type mm-hmm. situation as the bill continues to be fluid and moving. Uh, from a perception standpoint, there's a sharp focus on Indianapolis, Indiana. National media are covering the daily movements of our State House. And so uh, that ultimately affects the brand in one way or another. And, and, and uh, we're keeping a close eye on it. Yeah. Uh, quickly, Laura, but on that uh, whole uh, tax refund issue, how do you see that playing? Because there's a lot of uh, disparate thoughts on that. Too. There are so many disparate yeah. thoughts on it. Um, and I think that's part of the challenges. I think everybody um, has an opinion. And I think mm-hmm. that it's going to be really hard to see what happens. And yeah. unfortunately for the Republicans, it, this is just going to be totally overshadowed by mm-hmm. what's happening with abortion yep. and the abortion ban. Yep. Hey, Chris, want to get to you, uh, too, uh, on the convention business, because obviously the, the, the convention 
convention sector impacted greatly by the pandemic, but so much uh, business is now back. Is it back to what you would consider normal? Uh, report today, 95% recovered. When you look at downtown and, and the hotel occupancy, when you look at the number of people arriving daily to our airport inside of our convention center and future booked business. So we're up about five percentage points in the last six day, uh, six, 60 days. And so 95% recovered towards 2019 levels. Yeah. Did you see that since that nationally as well as, or is Indianapolis a bit of an outlier? We're faring better than other major cities. Wow. And that's because we've just consistently had this path forward with meetings and conventions and the infrastructure downtown. Mm-hmm. Big issue, diversity, inclusion, uh, equity uh, in the workforce and uh, development. A pilot project announced this week, a partnership uh, between the uh, Central Indiana Corporate Partnership and the Indy uh, Chamber and uh, really dealing with uh, inequity uh, in the workplace. Uh, the business community is coming up to support this uh, to get a number of companies with some uh, some great content related to this. Whitley, as you look at this initiative, again, mm-hmm. a pilot project, uh, your thoughts, is this the start of something that could turn into something. It definitely has the makings to be transformational. I think all of the data suggests that when you have a diverse and equitable workforce, the company is better. Mm. Uh, Dividends are better. Revenue is better. Morale is better. And so taking a strong investment into a pilot program like this and having businesses come alongside practitioners to do what's best for business and for people, Mm -hmm. I think it's always a move in the right direction. And and I think it's, I think Mm -hmm. it's free to the the participants because Mm -hmm. of support from a couple of foundations. And I think the corporate community is, is, is playing a role as well. Those I assume would be good signs that there's, there's support for this, uh, in a big way. Absolutely. I think what we're going to have to make sure that we're doing is making sure that it's not performative Mm -hmm. and that there are KPIs and key performance indicators so that we know this is where we are. This is where we're going. And we are able to track the transformation of the companies over time. Mm-hmm. Should look at economic development around the state of Indiana. A number of areas uh, have activity. I, I think none more, perhaps, than Fort Wayne in northeast Indiana. This week, Trine University continues to expand its footprint, a $40 million uh, investment in Fort Wayne for a new uh, health sciences, health uh, services building in Fort Wayne. Uh, again, Trine continues to grow, and uh, I'm constantly amazed at how Fort Wayne is continuing to I, I was going to say, Fort Wayne is happening. I mean, it's it's one of one of the most dynamic areas um, in the state. And interestingly enough, it's the second fastest growing um, metro area in the Great Lakes region, and they've captured $3.4 billion in private capital investment since 2014. Um, I think they do regional economic development. Their partnerships are really strong. They've got a strong mayor with Mayor Henry up there. Um, it is it is definitely one of our premier cities uh, in Indiana and a huge anchor in that part of the state. Yeah, yeah that's something you focus on. You know, here, certainly Fort Wayne, a different size city, but what they're accomplishing is substantial. We need for, as a, as a state, we need yeah. Fort Wayne to be successful. And they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, their infrastructure, their conference center, their, their, their baseball team, their downtown district, their cranes in the air. And so as a second largest city in the state of Indiana, we need and want them to be successful. And again, Again, Mayor, I think Mayor Henry is uh, really to take credit for that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, staying on the education uh, front, um, 
somewhat. Uh, Notre Dame going cashless. Anything significant about that? You know, it seems like, uh, you know, Banker's Life or Gainbridge uh, Fieldhouse uh, has gone cashless. So many different places are doing that. Uh, yeah. But Notre Dame says, yeah, we're doing it all of our food halls and all the different things. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, I mean, it, it's the future. I mean, it's where, and it's definitely where the kids are. I mean, you might have a grandparent or two who is going to have a hard time getting a beer at a game when they mm-hmm. pull out their 20. But um, for the <laughs> most part, I, I, I think it makes a lot of sense and it makes things much easier for them also too. Anything with conventions mm-hmm. space in the cashless uh, world? Uh, visitors don't carry cash. They, yeah. It's it's the trend. It has been for many years. And, and so uh, cashless is, is is going to be the, the, the normal here within moments. Mm-hmm. And our kids uh, won't, won't even understand what the bills look like. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Notre Dame loses <laughs> enrollment. In fact, no. I think it's a, they save money and it's, it's a healthier way of doing business. Yeah, exactly. Um, another interesting story to me, Lafayette Square. And that's an area that's been a focus uh, for a lot of years. How do you get Lafayette Square? be at the mall or that area. The international marketplace, I think, has been a success story. But that area, how do you kind of re, uh, redefine it and get uh, get some excitement? $50 million, uh, an entrepreneur who has big plans for that area, says he's already put $50 million in upgrades so far, far to Lafayette uh, Square. Whitley, do you think this is a sign that after various ideas and various efforts, this is one that may stick? It's going to be very hard to tell because as we all know, malls and these large commercial entities are not surviving. What I would have liked to see there was like a Gaylord amusement park inside, outside. But I do think that having a mixed use element that has this live, work, play idea can be beneficial specifically to that area because there are a lot of people that are walking and transients. And so I think having more things to do and people living there could be the key. We're out of time. That's uh, the last word. Whitley Yates, also Laura Beck, Chris Gull. Thank you, one and all. That wraps up this week's Inside Indiana Business television podcast. Remember, you can find all of this week's TV segments, as well as the top business news from throughout the state at InsideIndianaBusiness.com. While you're there, you can also subscribe to our platform of e-newsletters. This is Alex Brown for Inside Indiana Business.